Thank you, Lynn, very much. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Amen. <laughs> wow. What a great passage. Just to recap for those uh, that haven't been here um, in previous weeks, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. There were three missionary journeys, Acts talks about, but they sailed to Antioch, which was a Roman province, in Galatia, which is modern Turkey. So they arrived at Turkey. And Paul uh, has gone to the synagogue and he's been invited to come and uh, speak. So he comes up, they don't know who he is, they know he's a Pharisee, and then he begins to explain to the congregation that Jewish history only made sense with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And his sermon really centered on that key verse, if you look at chapter 13, verse 23, 13 verse 23, let me read it to you. Um, he says, from this man's descendants, um, God has brought Israel the Saviour Jesus as he promised. So he's saying to the congregation, Jesus is the, is the, the penultimate, he is the, the whole purpose of the Jewish history. He's ex Paul has explained carefully, he said, you know, um, Moses was a saviour of sorts. You know, he, he saved the people of Israel from Pharaoh. He took them through the Red Sea. He saved them from slavery. But then later God sent judges like Samson and Deborah. And they saved the Jewish people from their enemies. And then God sent kings like Saul and, and David who protected the people and made them into a nation. But Paul argues none of these saviours could save the people from their greatest danger. And what was their greatest danger? The greatest danger was sin. Sin and all its eternal consequences. And if you notice on what I've called this, the enemy of peace, but I haven't said what the enemy of peace is. Well, sin is the enemy of peace. So I just want to spend a few moments just trying to see what Paul was actually saying here. Because what Paul was saying is that the, the message of salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles didn't come in a book form. It didn't come as an angel. It came in human form. My son, my beloved son, my only son. Paul preached Christ crucified. And he went on to say that Christ was buried and his murderers hoped that would be the last they saw of him. That he would just decompose in a tomb. But of course, Jesus was the saviour of the world and having paid for our sins, death and hell had no hold on him. Because he had filled the, fulfilled the wonderful promise. You remember Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. It's often shared at Christmas. 
This passage, the angel visited Joseph and said to Mary, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And that song we just sung earlier, now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so my soul cries out, hallelujah, hallelujah. Acts chapter 13, verse 38, if you want to look at it, if you have your Bible there, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That's the great message that he brings. All the previous saviors, Moses, the judges, the kings, they couldn't protect against sin. Uh, Catherine, myself, and Lynn cycled to Gibraltar Point this week. <coughs> and uh, a bit later, Lynn and I were chatting, because uh, she always says to me, so what are you preaching on then, Raish? <laughs> And so I gave her a little synopsis. It's always, don't always ask me about what I'm preaching on, because you're going to get a sermon straight out of it, Lynn. You know that. <laughs> but one thing Lynn said was, she said that sin must be really bad if it needs the perfect Son of God to die for us. If sin is the enemy of our souls, then we need a mighty Saviour. And we both agreed on that point. So when Paul is preaching here, he rightly concludes that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, that alone can save us from sin. And verse 14, you see, he says, take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you, meaning God is doing something amazing here. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect it. He is able to save us to the uttermost. But then, of course, the question follows from that. Well, if our uttermost danger truly, is sin, then what is sin? Because I don't know about you, but over the years I've heard many uh, sermons and preachers try to <coughs> excuse me, illustrate what, what sin means. You've probably heard this one. Sin is actually an old English word. Uh, it, it means to miss the mark, and it comes from the days way back when the king would insist that uh, the men of the village all across the country should gather on a certain day, maybe on a Sunday, and they should do archery practice. Because it was very important that, you, that the king had a good set of archers if there was going to be a battle. You need to have good archers. So they would aim in the village and have competitions. And if the arrow went towards the, the target and veered off, and missed the target, that was called a sin. You missed the target. So sin was an old English word, <coughs> which the Bible then, the King James Version then brought in to mean missing the mark of God's high standard. But you may have heard other illustrations where they say, well, it's like going into exam. If, if the pass mark is 75% and you get 74%, then you've failed the exam, even if you're just one mark off. So these are the sort of ways of saying God's standard is here, but we aim, and if we fall short of the bullseye or the exam, we've missed the mark. 
I don't know about you, but I find analogies like that helpful, but it may seem that God's a bit unfair. You know, there's the bullseye, you aim, you're trying to hit it, and you just miss it to the side of the bullseye, and you've failed. And you're a sinner. But you know, these illustrations, they can't convey the true wickedness of what sin is. How terrible it is. But sin isn't just failing to miss the target of God's perfect moral standards. It's far worse than that. Someone once said that sin is not even bothering to aim for the target in the first place. You're not even interested, really concerned to keep to God's standard. And, friends, I think you would say it's true that our sins cause so much trouble and pain. Not just hurting us, but hurting other people, even those that we love. Sin is a danger to those around us. Our sin. Um, again, chatting to Lynn, we were walking past some ponds at Gibraltar Point, and I said it's like throwing a great block of brick into the middle of one of those ponds and there'd be a great splash and then the ripples would just go on and on and on and on. And, and I, you know, we were saying that's what sin is like. It has a, a consequence even beyond what we imagine. But some people say, well, you know, I mean, I, I try my best in life. I'm, I'm fairly decent. But what does God's holy standard really demand of us? What is the standard. Will you remember I read from you the Shema at the start, the words that Paul and Barnabas would have heard. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Which of us here can say that we do that? That we love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength. We don't. Or in Leviticus 19 it says to love your neighbour as yourself. <coughs> Friends, we can barely love our family, let alone our neighbour, as ourselves. We fall short. And you know, this, this mask debate. Should I wear the mask? And see people say, no, it's my rights. It's about my freedom. And wearing a mask has become a political consideration rather than a love consideration for my neighbours and others. Someone has said that sin is knowing what the right thing is to do and then doing the opposite. You know what's right to do and you do the opposite. That is a working definition of sin. <clears throat> and you may say, Rach, why are you going on about this? You know, well, the reason is because sin is a, is, a, is a word that's often banded around and people don't know what it really means or how serious it is. And like, us, like Lynn said, <clears throat> unless we realise how bad sin is and how far we've fallen from God's standard, we're not going to realise how much saving we need. It was only until I began to really realise, as a 16-year-old, how bad I felt my sins were, my conscience was really giving me grief. That's the time when I was beginning to say, I need help. Uh, because the thing is that there was nothing I could do to solve the problem. 
I tried hard to be a good person. But Isaiah 64 says that even our good deeds, even our righteousness, in God's sight, are like polluted garments. You know what polluted garments are? It's garments that have got filth on them. The worst filth on them. That's, God says, even your very best to, to my high standard of perfection in heaven. If we went to heaven with spotted, filthy garments on, we would pollute heaven. So Paul says in Acts chapter 13, verse 39, no one is justified from keeping the law of Moses. You can see it, it's plain there, look at it. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. He's saying the law of Moses isn't sufficient because you can't keep it. But the people in the congregation are thinking, hmm, mutter, mutter, mutter. I disagree. Because the Jews thought if they just worked hard to be good, if they just tried to fulfill the law to keep the, the washings and the rituals and, and, and all these things, the covenant, they could become clean before God. But Paul is saying that is a forlorn hope. That is a forlorn hope. The law of Moses can't free you from guilt or sin. Someone gave this very useful analogy about what the Ten Commandments were there for. They are like an x-ray machine. You know, an x-ray machine, when you, when, you, when you go through it, or you put your arm in it, or your leg, the x-ray machine will show you where the break is. It shows you where the break is. It can show you where the internal damage is. But the x-ray machine is not able to fix the broken bone. It just shows you. And that's what the Ten Commandments do. It shows us what God's high standard is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. But it's like a schoolmaster. This is the standard. This is what God wants. And then we realise, well, I can't achieve that. Some people say, well, I'm not perfect, I know, but I'm pretty decent. I try to do good. And when I die... And if I find there is life after death and a holy God, then I plan to take my chances. And I hope he's going to let me in. I hope he's going to let me in. And scores of people think that today. But Paul argues in verse 39, he says, no, you don't have to have that uncertainty. Look at verse 39. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from. From the law of Moses. It's, this is the most wonderful news in the world. You don't have to lie awake at night time thinking, have I done enough? Paul argues, he says, don't think that the examiner somehow is going to say when you come to heaven, oh, you know that exam passed, Mark, don't worry about it. I've shifted the grades down. Paul says instead, don't worry about the exam passed, Mark, because God has done it for you. You are justified in his sight. He's already, he's already made the perfect way to heaven for you and for me through his son, Jesus Christ. There's a song that says, Peace cannot come by our own efforts. Perfect peace and complete forgiveness is all found in you. It is all found in you. And mercy triumphs over justice. Judgment is good, but mercy is best. Where sin abounds, Grace is more abounding. It is all found in you. 
It is all found in you. The Lord Jesus, grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Friends, this is the best message that we could possibly have. Which then brings us um, to the second point, very briefly. Um, who is the person who saves? Paul says, through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Well, this saviour is a person, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. Paul says it was written about him. It was written about him, that God's great purpose should be that there would come a saviour. And through this saviour, he will bring us into his, we will become his people. He will adopt us into his family. And God loves to place the lonely in family. You know, not everybody has family. There are people that don't have much family. The lady I was speaking to mentioned in my prayers that I'm trying to encourage and asking for a Bible the other day. She doesn't have family. She's alone. But God places the lonely in family. And that means every single one of us can be in his family. And what better place to be in the than the family of God? And, you know, the way he has done it is extraordinary. I love it the way that Lynn said, um, for what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something in your days which you would never believe, even if it had been told to you, verse 41. Even if it had been told to you. And, you know, theologians have a word for this, what God has done for us. They call it the great exchange. And it means this, that Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross. It means that God took all our guilt and shame and sin and put it on Jesus, onto his account. And you know what he gives us back in exchange? What he returns for that? Righteousness. The righteousness of Christ comes onto us. This is the great exchange. His own beautiful righteousness, like a cloak, is laid over us and we are made right. And I love to tell the story of the prodigal son in Richmond School because it's a story of a son returning home. Remember, he stank. He'd been working in the pigsties. There was an awful stench about him and I'm sure that his clothes were spotted with unmentionable things. But the father welcomes him. He says, come home, my son. And the father makes the point of placing the robe over him. Graciously. And that is like the robe of Jesus Christ being placed over you and I. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And so, friends, this is the essence of it. When, when you worry about your sin, when you worry, are you good enough? When you worry, what will happen to me when I die? Remember this. God does not look upon your sin if you trust his son Jesus to be your righteousness. God does not look on your sin. He looks on his son's righteousness, which is the robe of righteousness. And you know that actually Jesus has achieved the perfect standard of God in your place. It's not about your goodness, it's about his goodness. And that brings us into perfect relationship with him. And you know then you will be in heaven. When I say to people, I know that God will receive me into heaven, it sounds an audacious thing to say. It sounds so righteous. How could you say that? Do you think you're so good? No, I don't think I'm so good. 
But I know that the great exchange was successful. And you know how I know that? Well, look at verse 32 and 33. Verse 32 and 33 says, effectively, We tell you the good news, what God promised to our fathers. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by how? Raising up Jesus, as it is written. The fact, verse 34, that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. And just as Jesus did not see decay, we will not ultimately decay and we will be in heaven. That's the great exchange. And the crucifixion and the resurrection were the confirmation. The empty tomb proved that the great exchange had been achieved. That the high crimes of sin that you and I have committed were dealt with on the cross. And even if Satan buffets you, and even if your conscience pricks you, and tells you that you are a pathetic Christian, and Satan will do that, then you remember this, that the tomb is the confirmation that the great exchange has happened, and that you and I have peace with God. You are his forever. This happened 2,000 years ago, and you may say, well, how does that benefit me? Well, it benefits you through faith. These are facts of history. Faith is to believe the message and believe that it is true. This is where we exercise faith. This message is about sin and Jesus the Saviour, it's true. The message about life, death and resurrection, it's true. Faith does not have to be a complicated thing. You ask God to help you to put your trust in Jesus. Confess you are a sinner. Admit, yes, you haven't lived the perfect life. And then ask him to forgive you. Lord, please, forgive me. I need you. And then have this assurance that it has been done for you. He wills that none should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. But friends, Verse 40 and 41 are a bit of a warning to us. Lynn read these words. Take care that what happened, that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am doing, I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. It's possible, friends, to hear this message, to hear it time and time again, and to still say, no, not yet. Because if you're going to make this truth real for you, this great exchange, then you have to open the door from the inside of your heart to use that analogy. You have to say, Lord Jesus, I open the door to you. I want this great salvation. I want that. Because if you don't take this great salvation, if you don't do what Romans 10 says, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. This is the word of faith which has been proclaimed to you, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you don't believe that, then look what happens. Look at verse 51. Because the Jews and some of the women in the town had said, Get out! Leave! We don't want this message. 
So, Paul and Barnabas, it says verse 51, they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium. So I would say, be careful. Now is the day of salvation. Make the most of it. Get your name enrolled for eternal life. I love that in verse 48. Can you see verse 48 there? I love that. Um, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Some version says their names were enrolled in heaven. Well, make sure. Let's make sure all of us here that our names are enrolled in heaven. And let's have faith. And if you are still unsure, please feel free to talk to me after. We can talk after the service or make an appointment to chat. Because these things are too important. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God bless you all richly. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this message from your word. We thank you for Paul who preached it. We thank you for the people who heard it and who responded in faith. May we respond in faith also. And may our lives have that assurance. May we be able to sit up straight and put our shoulders back and be bold and confident because the great exchange has been made and Jesus is our Saviour and we are going to be with him. Thank you, Lord God, for that. Amen. Amen. Amen.